No. No. Oh, no. So we pick up with this 20 in the midst of Anakin having another in a series of really tormenting feverish dreams about uh, the danger that he fears Shmi Skywalker is in back on Tatooine. Uh, he wakes up, uh, it's peaceful still on Naboo, and Padme tells him that she knows he's been having nightmares and he kind of won't own up to it. Yeah, so he tells her that he basically has to go back, he has to go save his mother, he knows she's suffering and in pain. Uh, although there's a chance he couldn't get in trouble with the Jedi Order. She says, no, I'll go with you, so that way you're not abandoning me, and that way you're still my protector, and to that way you can go back and try and save your mother, because I know you're worried, and this way you're not going to get in trouble. Meanwhile, Obi-Wan's getting ready to leave uh, Kamino. When he comes out on, uh, into the open air, he sees that Slave One, the Fett's ship, is getting ready to take off, and clearly... Jango Fett and his son are about to make some kind of escape. So there's this uh, sudden uh, outbreak of a duel between the two of them, uh, trying to kill each other, or at least Jango's trying to kill Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan's just trying to maybe uh, perform some kind of arrest on Jango Fett. It's uh, pretty acrobatic acrobatic at times, but uh, eventually uh, Jango Fett uh, on his ship gets away. Yeah, so Jango Fett gets away. Uh, Obi-Wan, uh, at that point, looks like he had fallen to his death. Uh, but Jango Fett ultimately sees that Obi-Wan made it back around somehow. And then Obi-Wan throws a tracker on his ship. They make it up into space. Uh, and then we cut back to Tatooine, where Padme and Anakin are running into an old friend. Or not so much an old friend, but an old slave owner, Watto. <laughs> and uh, Anakin basically says, where's my mother? And Watto says uh, she is sold to a man named Klieg Lars, or a man named Lars. Uh, and Watto's pretty sure that he married her and then moved to Mos Eisley. So they're going to set out and uh, take care of that. Meanwhile, back in the Obi-Wan storyline, he has actually thrown a, a homing device on Slave One, and he's uh, following uh, Slave One, which Boba Fett, in fact, noticed, and uh, Django uh, directs them into an asteroid field in an attempt to, to lose and, if necessary, kill Obi-Wan, which he thinks he has done, but sure enough, Obi-Wan evades uh, death once again as they're nearing the surface of Geonosis. Yeah, so Jango Fett uses one of the coolest weapons in all of Star Wars, seismic charges, in <laughs> uh, this amazing kind of chase scene reminiscent of Empire Strikes Back, uh, and Obi-Wan actually ends it by attaching himself to an asteroid uh, and, as a result, hiding in plain sight, uh, and Jango Fett thinks he killed him. Uh, back on Tatooine, Anakin goes to Mos Eisley, and he meets the Larses. He first meets Owen and Beru, uh, his stepbrother, uh, whom this is essentially the only time he ever meets, uh, and the, the caregivers of Luke. Uh, and then he meets Klieg Lars, who tells him the story of how his mother, uh, Klieg's wife, uh, went out one morning uh, and was abducted by Tusken Raiders. Uh, and as they've gone searching for her, uh, unfortunately, he's been injured in the process and she's been gone for 30 days. And so she's presumed to be dead. Anakin won't accept this. And he sets out to, in, in search of his mother and in hopes of, of rescuing her. Back on Geonosis, uh, Obi-Wan has covertly snuck into what appears to be Count Dooku's palace. And we see him for the first time having a very shady meeting with uh, the Viceroy and a bunch of other characters within this uh, secret battle droid factory. Yeah, and that's the 20. 
So I think the 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 part in this twenty that I that brought me the most joy was the uh, the reunion with Watto. And I guess I remembered this sequence, but there were a couple of things that really stood out to me with Watto. Uh, primarily that he seems to have grown an awful lot. He seems to have this sudden reverence for Anakin, I guess for for Anakin having overcome and grown up, and that's kind of a cool thing for Watto to see. But also he has a reverence and a fear of Jedi in general. Did you notice that? Oh, absolutely. I don't see this so much as uh, Watto growing up. I see this as Watto being down and down on his luck totally i I think he's kind of just sunk to like and hit rock bottom uh and as a result he uh i I mean it it just it makes sense that he's like not doing as well and that he doesn't really have the energy to be mean and when he sees anakin it's not so much of oh it's great to see you but it's a Oh, I don't want to cause trouble because I've already been, I've already kind of learned my lesson with Jedi. Right, but he's surprisingly cooperative. Like back in the day, if anybody came to him wanting information, he'd be like, "Well, what's it worth to you?" He would have he would have tried like some simple negotiations as like a junkyard dealer, uh, not unlike himself. In this case, he just coughs everything up. But think about Qui-Gon. Qui-Gon completely bested him and made him look foolish. And in that same process, Qui-Gon only knew him for a couple days. Yeah. If you are going to be someone's slave owner, and then that person becomes a fucking ninja with a lightsaber, <laughs> then yeah, you're going to be a little bit worried if he comes back. Yeah, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to say that that's likely Watto's fear is that he knows um, and even the, the fact that he sold Shmi, uh, he knows he's in trouble the second he realizes who it is. The other thing Although I noticed he is a little excited to see him. Oh, definitely is. I think he's like he says uh, I wrote down as one of my Annie? favorite quotes. Uh, Annie, it is you. You really sprouted a Jedi, yeah. huh? What do you know? Maybe you could help me with some deadbeats who owe me a lot of money. So this says to me, he's not completely, I mean, he's bottomed out. He's getting kind of jerked around by people, although that just sounds like the same old Watto. He's not completely above being shady. Yeah, no, I mean, no, Watto will never be above being shady. And I think that's kind of a little bit what it is. Uh, It's just Watto's a bottom feeder. And so if this is an opportunity that, oh, if I can get something out of Anakin, great. But- I'm definitely not going to push my luck and potentially get killed by my former slave. The other thing I noticed about Watto is somehow the acting is really good. Lenny? Hey, Lenny? I don't know if like the, the, the mocap was just like really, really having a good day, but it was it's, really effective. It's unfortunate because... He does a better job showing emotion than Hayden Christensen in this morning. <laughs> and that's a shame because I, I, I like to not hate on, on Hayden Christensen, but this is one of his worst acted 20s. I didn't feel like the dialogue was bad anywhere, really. I mean, there's a couple lines that I have as take. I don't really. I, Boba Fett's lines are all take backs. But other than that, it's fine. Honestly, um, I, I had very few complaints about this entire 20. Uh, and I, and I, I kind of just don't even include Hayden Christensen's acting because that's just kind of so... It's uh, a common mon- one, but I just yeah. felt like this one stood out as it was definitely not anyone else's fault on the things that fell flat. But for the most part, like when it comes to best moments and take backs, I have 
on here. I have five best moments and four takebacks. And oh, sorry, yeah. I, I didn't even see that. I have seven uh, best moments if you count the two on the next page. It was really so, solid. It was like, yeah. and and not just the writing, which is rare to be good in a prequel. I thought like the cinematography was really strong. Like when when Anakin, uh, the we're kind of fight scene. Yeah, the the fight scene was amazing. The this so the physical. combat. The also this is jumping ahead a little bit, but later on when Anakin is going off on his own out into the 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 night of Tatooine. There's mm. a little bit of green screen action in there, which is forgivable because it was the early 2000s. But like the shot of the orange sunlight, like burning the sand and the huge mountain range was was beautiful. Oh my God, there's some really great cinematography. There's that. Uh, personally, one shot that I loved was the kind of that opening shot of Anakin. Uh, the, yes. the kind of classic Star Wars pose of someone looking off into the abyss. But this one was was different than a lot of them because he's centered in the frame. Uh, he's got a kind of a wide, composed stance, whereas a lot of the looking off is very, um, I guess, all of your main characters kind of looking off or, uh, at the end of the movie, sort of, like the end of Empire, the end of this movie, and the end of so many other movies. But it just was kind of interesting to, to kind of see it at, a, at an earlier or midway point for Anakin. That was the point at which Padme comes out and she says... I don't want to disturb you. Your presence is soothing. You had another nightmare last night. Jedi don't have nightmares. I heard you. Why wouldn't Jedi's have have nightmares? I don't have that as so much of. A, I have it actually as one of my, as one of kind of my favorite lines or lines to note of. Uh, mostly just because I really liked the way it back and forth was is. Uh, you had a nightmare again last night. Jedi don't have nightmares. I heard you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't lie to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I think it's just, I don't think there's anything to really unpack other than that it's Anakin denying his emotions a little bit. Uh, it's him trying to be a little bit strong and then realizing, oh, wait a minute, this is Padme who I'm talking to. I don't, I can never really control the way I act around her. So I may as well just let it kind of spill. So you're saying it's not even necessarily true that Jedi's don't have nightmares? No, I think that's him just trying to be tough. Okay. All right. And I think that's him being like, if Mace Windu ever found out, I would be mocked. Or like, if my other kind of teenage Jedi's, they would think that would make me weak. And Anakin is all about not looking weak and feeling powerful. This was an important moment, too, for how we come to to learn of Padme's love for Anakin because we've talked a lot about how she busts his balls and she kind of doesn't totally meet him on wearing her heart on her sleeve. And in this, she shows genuine compassion. She really does. She definitely shows that she cares for him in this 20, which is nice. Uh, I will point out another one of my favorite moments. Uh, it's, it's one of the coolest shots, and I'll go back to another piece of incredible cinematography, but just one of the best shots in all of the prequels. Uh, and when... Uh, Anakin and Padme, I almost said anime again, when anime, <laughs> uh, when they hug uh, right before he goes off on the speeder and they show the silhouette on the Lars homestead. Yeah. Uh, and how the silhouette of his ponytail uh, and the edge of the um, formation on the dome of the house okay. uh, act as uh, a shadow outline of Darth Vader's helmet and chest plate. Right. Like, so it's incredible that they actually have Vader's shadow on the Lars homestead 
in Attack the Clones. That's just know. cool as hell. I don't know if George Lucas has something to do with that or if they hired like a like a a cinematographer for a day who was just more of an artist than everyone else they had on set. But like, there's just something that felt artistically more well-realized and more interesting than so much of the prequels otherwise, which feel uh, well forgivable in certain aspects, largely uh, mechanical and, and shoeboxy. Whereas yeah. this was just so beautiful. Like another good example, Ross, of the art that was demonstrated in this 20 is in the asteroid field when yes. they're throwing out those seismic detonators and the way they de- the way they deal with the audio with those explosions sounds like the striking of a cello string. And that's just so cool. Seismic charges. Stand by. It's so awesome, and I love the way that they did that again and mirrored it once again through The Last Jedi when Holdo cuts through the ship. Uh, I think that was a nice kind of throwback to this moment. Uh, But those are just so fucking cool seismic charges. I have those as one of the best parts. I mean, it's just in the theater, I remember those. (laughs) I remember those shaking the theater. It was incredible. And it's, it's 20s like these that a lot of, I think a lot of people forget about when it comes to Attack of the Clones, uh, and I firmly stand that it is better than Phantom Menace uh, because of bits like this. There are definitely more throwaway parts, um, but it leads so nicely into the Clone Wars, and there are some really nice kind of secret nuggets throughout the movie. Absolutely, and Obi-Wan really saves this movie. Let's talk a little Hell bit about, yes. about the duel between the duel and the rain, which I just friggin' love, because you're just oh. like, oh my God, if I was running around that on that with like with my toms on, I'd be sliding off. Why exactly does Django run? And why is it so clear to Obi-Wan that he's running? Like they instantly know that this is going to be a shootout. Oh, because he's wearing the armor. Well, true. Yeah, he's had he's, he's dueled with this guy before. Yeah, so he knows exactly. Like, he was confident before. Like, and they could, like, Django Fett knew Obi-Wan was suspicious of him. Yeah. And Obi-Wan knew, Django knew that he was suspicious of him. Right. So it was the kind of thing where they both had their hands on their weapons ready to draw at any moment. Yeah. And when the guy clearly shows, yep, I'm the guy you're looking for. It seems like he, he's blowing his cover, though. Like, why not wait until Kenobi's gone? Well, he was leaving. Yeah, I know. But he, like, give it an hour before you put on the suit if you're trying to hide from this guy. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Uh, he maybe just prematurely thought Obi-Wan had already left. Yeah. Because yep. Obi-Wan sent that message and then went back and like when he had said he was going to go leave. So who knows? The Slave One, which is Jango Fett's ship and it becomes Boba Fett's ship and we first know it from... Is it Empire Strikes Back we first see Slave One? Yeah. Uh is this ship cool? It kind of looks like an iron, like it, it, which is funny because they make a joke about that in the last Jedi. It, it, is it a cool ship? I can't. I really yes. can't decide. Yes, it's a cool ship. I don't I like that it's like that, vertical. It's bizarre. No, I think that's super cool. I love the way that the cockpit's designed, and I thought it was really cool to be able to see inside of that, uh, and how it's kind of like a like a rocket ship the way it launches off. Yeah, uh, because that's kind of the way it, you have to get ready in a in a rocket the way it's done on earth at least one of the only take backs from that duel i have is uh although it's cool when his jetpack kind of just detaches and flies off and explodes how how did it come off so easily 
Yeah, that was a little bit weird. It, yeah. it did come off pretty easily. Uh, I think it's funny the way they slide around. Mm. Uh, and I thought it was funny the way Boba, like, uh, turn up Boba, Jango Fett crawled back up. I think those were both maybe a little bit of a playback to how Boba Fett died because he was clumsy or fell in the Sarlacc because he was clumsy, I mean. Uh, and then kind of a, a little bit of a nod to the, the legend survival of him clawing his way back out. So. Yeah, and there's good comedy in that too. Like when Obi Wan kicks Jango Fett off, and then realizes he's still yeah. tethered to him, and he says like, "Oh no!" And then they get yanked down into the water together. It's yeah, just got everything. Funny. And Obi Wan has a, a kind of funny line as well in the chase scene: "Blast! This is why I hate flying." Yes, yes, and, and also he flies like a friggin' master. He is incredible. He's the best. I, I really like when Jango said, uh, "He doesn't seem to take a hint, this guy." Uh, do you want to do some trivia? Sure. What is the name of Obi-Wan's companion droid traveling to and from Kamino? Uh, R4P17. <laughs> so, yeah, it is. Uh, and I had to check into that because they only ever call him R4 in this clip. So do you just know the P17 by heart? Uh, no, that was because that's also my Padawan question. Oh, it is. I like I like uh, R4. He's like jet red. There's There's yeah. no like texture in his coloring. Yeah, no, I uh, I didn't have, uh, I was running a little bit short on time, so uh, I always come up with two questions so that that doesn't happen. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was my bad one question as well. <laughs> How many people went looking for Shmi Skywalker when she went missing? 30, and only four came back. I know. <laughs> he said it like a pirate. What happened to those other 26 people? And are we to assume that that's when Kleeg's, uh leg got severed? Yeah, that's what he kind of says. 30 of us went out after her. Four of us came back. I'd be out there with them, but after I lost my leg, I just couldn't ride anymore until I heal. Yeah, he makes it seem like it's a pretty fresh wound. So is it the Tuscans that killed those 26 people and took his leg? Yeah. Like, they're savages, they're animals, they're ruthless. His description is actually one of the best lines in the 20. He says, those Tuscans walk like men, but they're vicious, mindless monsters. And the use of the word mindless is really impactful there, because it's true, there's something kind of soulless and empty and Frankensteinian about Tuscan raiders. Yeah, it, it, kind of. Um, from a certain point of view, the book, uh, it does give you a little bit of an insight into the Tuscan mindset. And they are... They're not the most intelligent of species, and they're very, very, very primitive in the way that their tribes work. Okay. Um, it's much about uh, showing strength and um, being kind of a leader. Uh, it has a lot of kind of old school masculine tropes as well. Um, and then, of course, there's the hiding their hideous faces thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're yeah, they're barbaric they're, they're kind of like wolves yeah they're even that's a great comparison yeah. they really kind of are because they attack when you're kind of alone and they t attack in packs and yeah okay what's your night question for me uh night question is what type of ship does obi-wan fly uh i don't know but i'm also undecided on if i think that weird ring he travels within is cool like the ship kind of attaches into this like halo yeah i uh i called i botched calling it whatever it was last week and so i looked it up uh, as well and i already forgot it so that's uh, that's pretty useful it's not a thing you see elsewhere i guess i do kind of like know. it it's, but i'm not sure what i know what the purpose is 
I don't know. There's a handful of those in Star Wars. It's for small starfighters that can't travel at uh, hyperspeed. And so that ring allows them to travel at hyperspeed, and then they detach from it and fly the way they normally would. It's like the same way a rocket ship's designed on Earth with a large base. Oh, so it's like a booster pack or something. It's interesting yeah, exactly. that they actually thought of that to include it in the movie. Yeah, I think uh, hyperdrive docking ring is what it's called. Okay, I guess I do kind of like it. Yeah, I think it's a very cool concept. I think it's just smart uh, the way that they've... And they've done a lot of building out on um, I guess hyperdrives and hyperfuel and have made that kind of a big thing within the Star Wars world. I forget someone mentioned that recently, probably on Reddit, and I apologize for not giving recognition, but uh, just that why, did there, why was there always an issue... Uh, why was there never an issue with fuel in Star Wars? And now that's constantly a big problem in these movies. In The Last Jedi, they're running out of fuel. In Solo, they're running out of fuel. Um, yeah. But it, it's always been kind of the case. I Han guess, mentioned, but... Yeah, but Han like, mentions it a couple times in the original trilogy. Uh, and But it is something that they've done a better job of recently, I think, um, building some of the sci-fi elements of Star Wars out. Um, and I think they've kind of done that with hyperspace and travel in that regard. It's it's just a little bit interesting the way that's become kind of a sci-fi-ish part of Star Wars, the way that they've expanded it out, uh, whereas some creatures can travel at that speed, um, and the way the hyperspace lanes are. I, I don't know. I found it. Uh, I found that throughout the canon readings that I've had um, and different TV shows, I, I think that they've done a really good job of uh, kind of exploring how that's a very tricky and delicate uh, process, but isn't it uh, interesting that in most cases, when we're when we're talking about uh, a ship running out of fuel, it's one of these big freighters, and it's never these little crotch rockets like what Obi Wan's flying around. Yeah, but I think, and then it's going to just go on the basis of if those are extremely aerodynamic, you don't need a lot of propulsion in space to stay in the same direction. And if you're traveling at a, I guess I don't know. And it's, it is sci-fi. So I, I just kind of see it as being the little ships are able to kind of zoom, zoom around a little bit. Uh, and a big ship is just has so much weight and armament that it's compromising its speed uh, for shields and um, other elements. Master question for you. What was Shmi Skywalker doing when she was kidnapped? She was picking mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. And what was she picking them off? Uh, I don't remember. See, this is what I wanted to talk to you about because it sounds like he says the word evaporator, but why would Tatooine have evaporators? They have two suns. They probably have like vaporizers, right? Well, they're moisture farmers. Yes, right. And so let me think. Let me pull up the script here. The thing is, what 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 it sounds like he's saying is uh, the mushrooms were growing on evaporators. Your mother had gone out early, like she always did, to pick mushrooms and grow them in the evaporators. And that's just not a word. Okay, well, it is also a different galaxy, one right. far, far away. You're right. You're uh, right. Give me one second. I'm just going to try and find that. Yeah, vaporators <laughs> or evaporators. Yeah, he, say, he says evaporators because it sounds like evaporators. Uh, anyway, yeah. they have mushrooms growing on them, which yeah. makes sense because they create vapor. Yeah, it's, it's like a dehumidifier. But it's like a humidifier. It's a humidifier. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I well, you got never, it. I, I'm personally someone where the notion of a humidifier makes my skin crawl. <laughs> yeah, that sounds upsetting. Yeah. Uh, and my master question: Name one of the people 
at Dooku's round table, or sorry, one of the characters at Dooku's round table other than Newt Gunray and Dooku himself? I can't, but I hated them. <laughs> I hated them? I hated all of them. Ross, the one that like it looks like a refrigerator. It looks like a kid tried to draw a robot alien. He was like two seconds away from saying danger Will Robinson. He looked <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about? Yes, I know you And then there about. were a couple aliens there who looked really CGI. They really seemed to like cheap out on the CGI in the scene. Uh, San Hill is, uh, he's immune, and in Legends, that was the same species as Darth Plagueis. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting kind of notion there. Um, there's also, uh, Poggle the Lesser. Uh, <laughs> Poggle the Lesser is a character that actually has, uh, a few arcs, uh, in, uh, Clone Wars, and has actually a very important role in overall Star Wars. Uh, he is the leader of uh, Geonosians, and as a result, was the one who Dooku negotiated with uh, and negotiated with on behalf of the Separatists uh, to allow Geonosis to be the building site for the Death Star. Oh, wow. So he was the, I guess, planetary overseer of the Death Star, and as soon as the Empire took over, they wiped out the Geonosians and basically said, thank you for your planet. Uh, but up until that point, he was thinking that, hey... Good jobs. <laughs> Do you agree, though, that the CGI quality was, like, really subpar? Like, there were times where they almost it didn't look any better than, like, video game characters. Uh, Poggle the Lesser was good because the Geonosians, they had to focus on detail for because there's thousands of them. Yep. Uh, but I thought the Mune was atrocious, uh, and I thought the robot was awful. I forget which uh, character. He's also in a few arcs in Clone Wars, um, but those are not the most engaging of episodes so um oh, maybe a little bit childish kind of some of those episodes <laughs> that have the evil robot as the bad guy but uh i don't even feel comfortable calling him a droid i call him a, like he just, he's a robot he he's looks not like a robot a absolutely yeah. well we had a rare uh, decent quote from the viceroy there i'm not signing your treaty until i have a head on my desk in reference to the senator from naboo yeah, which is kind of a badass quote, but also it kind of reminds you that there are desks in Star Wars, and that makes me laugh. What do you mean? Palpatine has <laughs> such a huge desk. Yeah, I guess it's just like such a it's human such a word window. to have a desk seems so Earthling. Yeah, I guess that's true. Did you know? I just learned this this week. You probably knew this, but did you know that Newt Gunray is named after Newt Gingrich because George Lucas hated the Bush administration so much? Really? Yes. That's super interesting. I know, it's so bizarre. And I think the other Viceroy guy is named after somebody too, but I don't remember who that was. Oh, wow. I'm going to look into that. That's quite cool. And so they're like bumbling oafs. And, and you knew that, that Lucas did hate George Bush. Uh, I didn't know that he hated George Bush, but I mean, I knew a lot of people hated George Bush, so... That's kind of all I have for like um, for the things Watt that really Tambor stood out. is the robot. Okay, what's his name? Wat Tambor. Wat Tambor. All right. Yeah, I'm really not a fan. No. He was very upsetting. What won the 20 for you? What are the things that stood out as the very best things? Um, I had a handful. Uh, I thought the fact uh, there was some great rhyming to other middle movies in Star Wars trilogies. Okay. Uh, with the seismic charges, the chase scene, the way that Obi-Wan gets away, uh, the fact that there's Slave One back in it. Uh, there's great nods to Tatooine. I thought it was... A really great 20 for throwing nods uh, to the original trilogy 
Um, and just doing that rhyming and poetry like George likes. They did an amazing job with that on Tatooine in particular, and even more specifically with the music. I mean, to see mm -hmm. the moisture farm again and to see basically just the silhouette of the, the Jawas big uh, factory carrier thing really harkens back to the original Star Wars movie in a deliberate way. And the Absolutely. music, the music is not only that, that iconic Luke Skywalker evening theme. You also get a little duel of fates in there too. I don't know if you noticed. I didn't know. It really stands out, and and you're right. It really feels like other Star Wars movies, specifically on on Tatooine. And I I would equate it now to without giving anything away and without uh, veering off topic too much. I went to see uh, the Crimes of Grindelwald this weekend. Oh yeah. And uh, there's it's it's a very mediocre film, but there's uh, about 20 minutes that take place at Hogwarts, and you suddenly feel relieved because it feels like the movies you know and love again. And this is kind of like that. That's really interesting, and I think we'll get a little bit of that in episode nine. Um, but and that's just kind of interesting to hear because I'm I'm expecting to have some some throwbacks. And when you and I'll name another thing that I loved. I loved uh, the cinematography, and I think that started with immediately uh, that shot of Anakin. Yeah. Uh, and so that's something that if we can get some shots and visuals like that in episode nine on potentially Naboo again, that would be so damn cool. Uh, I also have the explosions uh, on Camino on the platform. Yeah, uh, the Jango. Those are some. They're just. They're well done. They're probably practical effects. Knowing Star Wars, I don't. Uh, I haven't watched the behind the scenes documentaries uh, on the on, on Attack for or uh, Attack for Clones or Revenge of the Sith in a while. Um, I don't. I, yeah, I don't remember the last time I saw those at all. Um, but yeah, the hand to hand fight between Obi Wan and Jango, the seismic charges. Uh, and when Watto and Anakin reconnect, and uh, the shadow of Vader on the Lars. Yeah, it's really awesome. I also really like the the battle droid battle droid factory because it just looks so sinister. It does look sinister. So funny thing is, in a couple twenties from now, we're gonna have Anakin and Padme going through that battle droid factory, uh, and then R two and three PO as well. But one thing that's cool is every single piece of machinery in there. Yeah, is designed to look and function the way the required machinery would be to build those battle droids. Okay. So they built the factory the way a factory would need to be built in theory to build those battle droids. So like each machine did a certain function uh, in like the creation of like certain plates. And like, so you can see like the intricate little details of the battle droids being made and the logical construction of them. So it's just kind of a, a fun little detail that's going to be in there. And Count Dooku's castle in general, I mean, is so unhomey. It's almost ridiculous. Like, you would assume that this guy who calls himself a count and wears oh, a big cape and castle. has a perfectly coiffed beard. This is in his castle. It's not? Where? What is it? No, this is Pago the Lessers. Uh, it's oh. on Geonosis. Uh, so what uh, Dooku is from, oh, damn. What's, um, says, uh, nobody, nobody thinks any less of you, I promise. I, thanks. Uh, Sereno, I think Sereno. Yeah, that's the, it's, <laughs> it, it's a planet that's, um, it's essentially just known for its wealth. And so he found out later in life, uh, after becoming a Jedi, that he was robbed of riches and fame and fortune, and then decided when he was sick of the Jedi that, yeah, not so bad to be able to go back to. That's right. Uh, but no, he, uh, he was a man of the galaxy. I don't believe uh, he had many 
uh, many palaces. He just became a military figurehead after this for the Clone Wars, and he's always on the run. The other reconnection that Anakin has on Tatooine is with 3PO, who calls him the Maker, which is corny, but it's in keeping with the character. I am C-3PO. The Maker of Master Annie. I knew you would return. I knew it. No, I love it. I actually have a couple lines from 3PO as lines I like. Yeah, uh, it's, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, oh, my. Oh, my. My, the maker. Uh, Master Anakin. Uh, I knew you'd return. I knew you would. And this must be Miss Padme. Oh, my circuits. I'm so pleased to yeah. see you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fun. Except for that, I don't really think that Padme would remember 3PO. Uh, I found that as a take back here. I only have a couple take backs. Um and uh, the only one I haven't mentioned is this one. It, it would be uh, Owen not remembering 3PO in A New Hope. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's a big blunder. He lived with 3PO. Yeah, he lived with them already on this planet. And it's clearly, I, I know 3PO's mind is wiped. So that makes sense. Right, but he introduces himself to everyone he meets. I know. And Owen, he does this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he does kind of cut him off, so maybe that's it. Like maybe he doesn't actually get the full picture, and because he just looks like a standard protocol droid, you wouldn't clue into it. But if you hear C-3PO, and you knew you had a C-3PO, like I don't know if there's a lot of that exact code number or if they're all unique to specific units, um, because even like R-417, for example, it's not your no, standard four No, no, I think you're, you're making excuses. I think that this no, is no, an no, oversight. I, I, I think it's an oversight. I'm just my point is I don't know of really any way to to patchwork it other than just saying, oh, it was a mistake. It was. Definitely was. Yeah, I think it has to be. But there's a handful of those that uh, have been corrected over time. And this one, I'm sure, somewhere in some way has been uh, attempted to be corrected through canon. What else you got from this 20? Because I'm about done. Uh, I think I am too. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm done. Let's, Let's move on to the I... news. Cool. Uh, there's not tons of news, but... Uh, a little bit. Um, let's start off with uh, let's start off with the big news. Okay. TV. So we did chat about already the Cassian show, uh, and we know that. Uh, <laughs> I hope it's uh, called the Cassian show, by the way. The Cassian show, late night with Cassian Andor, <laughs> and you have like K two S O. This is like his Higgins, his, and his sidekick. sidekick. Yeah. <laughs> the most icely band, of course. Oh, the most icely band, of course. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so Pedro Pascal and uh, Gina Carano are officially confirmed as two of the main characters in The Mandalorian. Uh, Carl Weathers is uh, one of the only other rumored actors out there. Um, but the cast is starting to be known a little bit now, which is great to see. It is. Uh, there are some rumors that part of the reason why they were able to get away with holding off on releasing casting was the fact that we may not see Pedro Pascal with the Mandalorian helmet off for a few episodes. Oh, okay. that's a possibility. That's just a rumor out there. That's a total like could be complete garbage, um, but just something I I heard somewhere that based on, um, it, it it does make some sense that they would have the ability to not have to release his identity if you don't need to show it, and if he's going to be under kind of lock and key for a little while, that even if there was ever anybody nearby who tried to sneak a set photo, they wouldn't be able to really get a whole lot. Right. I'm not Uh, saying it's impossible, but it is very difficult to uh, establish empathy for your main character if you're not going to show his face for a long time. Who knows? Uh, And when you look at the fact of Kylo Ren, uh, they do a great job of 
kind of going back and forth in The Force Awakens. Yep. Adam Driver's too good of an actor, and so as a result, I think it was the right call by Ryan Johnson to take the mask off. I have no idea uh, what's going to be done here. Uh, just I thought it's kind of a, a, a funny notion uh, to think about. Uh, but yeah, Pedro Pascal uh, and Gina Carano, very excited that they're both confirmed. Gina Carano was in Haywire, Fast and Furious 6, Deadpool. She's a former MMA fighter, so she's a very physical actress. She's a badass. Yeah, she can, she can play a physical role. Uh, I think she's been criticized a little bit in the past for not being necessarily the best actress. Okay. But she doesn't really have much experience at all. And with a great director like Favreau, and if you make her a, have a, just a badass role... Uh, you don't need to have the best actor in the world. If you have someone like Pedro Pascal leading the kind of leading the show, you should be fine. Yeah, she's going to get an acting coach. It's not. Yeah. It's not really the most important thing. She's also a born performer. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Um, uh, there's also some rumors out there, um, and these are just rumors floating around uh, the web. Um, nothing remotely confirmed or reliable, and or even remember where I saw them, uh, but. <laughs> There might be, Ray may have a blue lightsaber. It's heavily believed that the prop, uh, and this one actually I'm pretty sure is uh, a reliable rumor. Okay. I don't remember what the source was. It may be, uh, it may be Star Wars News Now on this one, uh, which they would have maybe got it from somewhere else or it could have been one of their own. Uh, but that at least in the, uh, in the filming process, Ray's lightsaber is blue. Now you could easily change that in the editing. Yes. Easily. But... There are significant advantages in lightsaber technology development, like prop toys, that they actually use those now for certain parts of the movies, and then they use that same kind of technology so that they don't need to do as much work in creating uh, the glows uh, and kind of the recreation of the blades. Um, so I don't know why in hell it would not be blue unless her lightsaber is blue in the movie, which kind of disappointing because I was hoping she'd have a double-bladed lightsaber or maybe a different color. Uh, but I also have a huge hope that if it is blue, it's an unstable blue from the reconstruction of uh, the graphics. I think that's cool, but I think that I think that hoping for a double-bladed lightsaber again outside of Darth Maul is is ju- I just think it's a big ask for the main Star Wars movies. I would agree, but Ray has always used that large staff. Uh, Staff, and it just it seems like it could be very fitting for her character the way she fights uh it, i think it would be very very cool um and i th- I, th- I just think that you need to have some diversity with the way lightsabers are done you need to bring them back in a larger extent uh, a few other characters need to have lightsabers in episode nine um just a couple doesn't need to be extensive but in some shape or form a knight of ren Dear God, hopefully has a lightsaber or there's another Jedi of some sort. Are we going to discover in episode nine that any of the characters we've been watching for a while have the force after all? Like, are we going to learn as a twist that that Finn or Poe or Rose or any of these people are force sensitive? I think there's maybe a 25% chance that we'll learn that about Finn. Yeah. I, I wouldn't put it. I wouldn't put any money on any of it. But I think there's a chance that it could be with Finn because there's got to be something that that, that that separates him from all those other brainwashed stormtroopers with which he grew up. Exactly. And then there's a few other things. It's the fact that he held the lightsaber in Episode Seven, uh, and that he was. I don't know. He's been drawn to Ray. Yeah. Uh, he's on to do good things he's been brave to go up against kylo ren i mean you don't need to do that to his character he's already shown a lot of growth although yes. he didn't do a whole lot in the last jedi um but i don't know for, for me i'm okay with uh 
Uh, I'm okay with keeping all the characters we currently have the way that they are. Um, obviously adding more character development, but not necessarily giving any of them the force. Uh, but I would like to see maybe w a couple of the... Uh, obviously, the Knights of the Ren have the force in some capacity. I'm not sure whether they're using lightsabers or not. Um, or uh, a new Jedi character with lightsaber. I just think that'd be kind of interesting. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there was a cool YouTube fan edit that somebody did, and uh, once again, not going to give the credit because I can't remember it. Um, that's just my apologies, and it just popped into my mind. But just look up Praetorian Guards with red lightsabers. Okay. Uh, they completely edited out the uh, weapons to make them red lightsabers so that it would be an actual lightsaber battle, and it's super cool. Oh, wow. Yeah, that sounds interesting. It, it, it's something where... Yeah, it was cool, the weapons we saw, and they were very first ordery, but Ryan Johnson made a mistake on that one. Yeah. They should have been they sh they should have been red lightsabers. Uh it would have been cool if they were the Knights of Ren, but I think the Knights of Ren will be badass in episode nine, so it doesn't need to be. Right. But it would have been so fucking cool if those were lightsabers. Definitely. Um John Williams is doing an original theme for Galaxy's Edge. Oh, cool. He should. That's a great idea. I wonder where where that will so this is the Disney theme park that Correct. that that is uh, is Star Wars based. So where is that theme going to to appear? Probably all over the place. Commercials and like the entry. Oh yeah, all over the place. It'll be the the common undertone of the entire park. Probably. Yeah, but like, why isn't the main Star Wars theme the common undertone of the whole park? Because that I think kind of spoils it. You save that for key points uh, and. I think this would be the kind of thing that will be used at key points in rides and certain. I, I just think it's important for them to kind of establish it a little bit outside of the movies because, like, the Force theme, yep. you don't just want to just have the Force theme playing. Well, you know what else? Uh, That's not how it is in the movies. A theme park, and, and specifically, like, an immersive uh, theme-based theme park like this one is about experience. And so, in a way, this theme is your theme. Mm, that's a cool way of putting it. Oh, that's a really nice way of putting it. Yeah, I like that. Um, Women of the Galaxy, uh, it was a beautiful art book. It was released last month. I just saw some shots of it today. Uh, it really is beautiful. Uh, it shows like all of the women in Star Wars uh, and uh, the characters and a little bit about them. It's just some really cool illustrations and shots. Uh, just might be something we'll take a look at. Yeah. Um, solo Blu-ray sales. Uh, so they have made $18 million in revenue in their first, um, I think this is its first month. Okay, how does that stack up to other Blu-rays? That's what I have as the comparisons. Uh, so it's $18 million in revenue for Solo. It was $40 million for The Last Jedi. Okay. 38 for Rogue One and 85 for The Force Awakens. Holy sovereign. I mean, that doesn't really surprise me. Okay, so 18 is pretty low as compared to 85 for The Force Awakens. But yeah, pe people were buying The Force Awakens because they've owned all the Star Wars movies and they're like, I got to keep it up. And by the time Solo comes around, it's the, the fourth new Star Wars movie in this, in this rebirth and people's DVD and Blu-ray collections are falling behind because they care less about that now. I don't necessarily think this is just a symptom of the movie not mattering or being a thing people care about. It's just mm. about Blu-rays and DVDs dying. Yes, I also think it's to a degree a little bit interesting that yeah, I mean, this is time has progressed and thus Blu-rays are kind of on their way out. Uh, but I, the sales do show a little differently 
Uh, like I think the sh- the sales still do pretty well for Blu-rays, and they, they charge more money now for certain things. Like The Last Jedi, for example, sold fewer copies than Rogue One, but cost more money. Yes. Uh, and if you show kind of the overall stats, I think Solo is going to really increase because Christmas hasn't happened yet. Oh, okay. Um, All right. And The Last Jedi, his their numbers should probably increase for an overall as well. Uh, I think there'll be a lot of people. I know I don't buy the the Blu-rays. I wait for. I think it's in the, kind of a a nice Christmas uh, kind of thing to be able to line up so you can binge them all. Uh, I will find other ways if I need to uh, to rent the movie to see it uh, in that couple months after it comes out before Christmas. But um, yeah. Oh, so Netflix, so Netflix, are, are we are we building anywhere closer to to Solo being a financial success, or are they still deeply in the red? Uh, no, I think it's getting pretty close to breaking even. Okay. I don't, we will never know the numbers on that, and the marketing budget could prove that to be totally wrong. Maybe it's, uh, maybe the marketing budget really was a lot, and as a result, I'd still say they're in the red. What else you got? Uh, not too much. The Vader comic is finishing up. It's apparently really bringing a lot of great uh, legends and lore back into Star Wars. Uh, so anyone who likes legends or likes comics... Uh, or is just interested in Star Wars comics, uh, the Vader comic is probably the most universally regarded. Uh, it's Vader, who the hell does not love Darth Vader, uh, and it really gets into some nitty-gritty things that link up with the Empire uh, and that link up with uh, his time prior to um, A New Hope. It's it's a, a very interesting arc. I've kind of followed, even though I haven't read the uh, the comics themselves, I've followed a lot of the stories because... They've really developed canon in interesting ways. Right. So this entire series is coming to a close. I think that's 25 uh, comics that they will have done. So uh, definitely might be one to, to binge afterwards. All right. I want to wish some happy birthdays. Uh, today, Thursday, the day this podcast comes out, is Mads Mikkelsen's birthday. Nice. It is also Alden Ehrenreich's birthday, our second Han Solo. Cool. And this coming, Sunday, this coming Sunday, a happy birthday to the late Sheila Fraser, who played Aunt Beru in the original Star Wars movie, not the one in the 20 we just watched. Oh, happy birthday to all those people. So those are our, our Star Wars birthdays. Are we good? I think we are. I don't have anything else on my list. All right. So uh, if you have any comments other than that the tonal quality of this podcast was a little off, we had some uh, technical things to kind of work through. Um, anything on the content of this podcast you'd like to pass along, please tweet us at recorder six six or email recorder66podcast at gmail.com. Also rate and review on iTunes. We've seen a slight uptick in listenership, which is very, very nice. But if those of you who are new to the podcast could give us uh, a little uh, a little star rating on iTunes and preferably a positive one, that would mean a lot because that would help us move into uh, better algorithms and then we'll get more listeners even still. Uh, and thank you so much for listening. So in spite of the fact that we're not together now, Ross and I, until we're together again, may the force be with you. <laughs>